So we usually see this at around the adolescent phase, which is going to be depending on the size of the dog start usually around six months. And for small dogs, they'll exit adolescence around a year and a half, but for big dogs, adolescents can last till two and three years, meaning labs, shepherds, those types of dogs. And so what happens is in the name of socialization, we are often letting our puppies just walk up to run up to and greet anyone who wants to say hi to them. So it's usually a lot of running up to dogs, running up to people and not having to definitely not worrying about the person on the other end of the leash. They're human and definitely not worrying about what happens between the moment when they see another dog or they see a person and that moment when they do get to greet, which as a young puppy, if they're friendly, the way we want them to be, they're going to be excited to see people a great quality. But what happens is then as they get older and they get bigger, we start to decide, okay, we don't need to socialize you anymore. And so we're not going to let you walk up to everybody and say hi. And what that can do is build frustration because your puppy has just spent many months getting to do that. And suddenly we just decide they don't get to do that anymore, which is a good thing. I mean, there's, we don't want leash greetings is not necessarily something we want to be the norm, but when it's been the norm for our puppies for so long, and suddenly we change that a lot of frustration can build. Hi, welcome back to Telltale Dog, the podcast. I'm your host, certified dog trainer, Elizabeth Silverstein. And I have with me today, Juliana DeWilliams, the owner and head trainer at JW Dog Training and Behavior Consulting in the Washington, D.C. area. She is a certified professional dog trainer, Karen Pryor Academy certified training partner, certified behavior consultant, canine, and a certified dog behavior consultant. Juliana is a faculty member at the Karen Pryor Academy, and she teaches the Dog Trainer Professional Program. Hi, Juliana. Welcome back. Thanks for having me again, Elizabeth. So happy to be here. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being willing to do this and for your patience with me while I figure out pronunciation, not my strong suit. Of course. (laughs) Well, in part one, we covered how Juliana became a dog trainer and part two is going to be all about puppies. So one of the things I love about your Instagram is that you give such great detailed advice on handling puppies. And as we all know, everyone got their COVID puppy last year and people are still bringing home their puppies. So I wanted to cover kind of three main things that you've presented on your social media, which is socialization, nipping. And I also wanted to discuss potty training a little bit. What is your experience with puppies? Did you get started with puppies as a trainer or when you brought home your own dog? So most of my experience has been through training and helping other people with their puppies. And I have had family members and close friends with puppies, but maybe I shouldn't admit this because people will be like, you give me advice and you've never done this yourself. I have not had the pleasure, we'll say, of uh, bringing home my own puppy for an extended amount of time. I've done short-term fostering, but my dog I got as an older dog. So most of my puppy stuff is helping clients troubleshoot. And obviously everything we learn, I've done puppy like educational training courses and teaching puppy classes. So I have a ton of expertise and secondhand experience. And there's things when you go through that process of collecting common things. So there's always going to be the common of socialization is going to be a big concern. Nipping and chewing is going to be huge. And then potty training. So the big three. So 
when someone's crying in front of you because they have a little wiggly velociraptor, you can say, it's okay. <laughs> it gets better. Yes. And what you're experiencing is totally normal. You don't have a demon in your home. Yes. <laughs> Most of the time your puppy is not aggressive. <laughs> yes. There can be the one-offs, but they're really abnormal. And, and I will say, which we'll probably get into, but if you see red flag behaviors like that in a puppy, that's much more startling than seeing those behaviors in an adult dog. So yes, for the most part, we are not hopefully seeing like actual biting and actually aggressing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it is, it does happen, but it's very, very rare. Most of the time it's the nipping and chewing is just common, even when it's drawing blood, unfortunately. And I hate to say that, but even when it's drawing blood and really scratching you up, it's actually pretty normal and common. What are some of the complaints you hear from clients when they co contact you about their puppies? So definitely the nipping. I mean, a hundred percent, the, my puppy is hanging off my pants. My puppy, my puppy is drawing blood. My puppy won't stop biting me. I would say that's huge. Probably also, like you said, like the potty training stuff. I feel like with house training owners either get that right away or they really struggle with it. So if they're coming to me with house training issues, there's, they're usually, you know, like pretty really struggling with it. Um, crate training or like more kind of independence training, I think is big. And I would say that those are probably the three main kind of quote unquote behavior issues. When someone's bringing home a puppy, and I know in my experience, I usually get contacted after the dog is already home. But if someone's thinking about bringing home a puppy, what are some of the things they should do to prepare for that new puppy? So I'm actually, I'm getting on a Zoom with a client right after this to help them prepare before the puppy comes home. And we love when clients ask us for help before puppy even comes home. Cause then we can be proactive. So I would say the number one, most important thing is getting a space set up for the puppy that will be just their own, that they can be and live and exist that where they do not have access to your flesh yes. <laughs> because, you know, a lot of times with the nipping, which we'll probably get into, it's a sleep and a routine thing. And the, the nipping will happen if your puppy has access to you throughout the day. So a nice X pen or gated off area where they can be that's not near you is super important. And then also getting all of your supplies ready and making sure you have some idea of what your routine will be because routine is critical for these little babies. Yes. And I didn't realize that there was controversy around crate training, but apparently there is, but it doesn't have to be a crate. And sometimes people get a little afraid with me because they're like, I don't want to crate train. I'm like, I'm not going to force you to crate train. You don't have to, but having at least a space for your puppy is going to be very important for your sanity. It does not have to be a crate. Yeah. It can be an X pen. And so X pens are fantastic because they're big. They're usually pretty secure. You can fold them. You can, you know, break them down and put them up in other places. You know, they're absolutely X pen. I think uh, more so even over a crate, you need to make sure you have an X pen. Also just managing their world. So sometimes we forget puppies are just babies and a big old house for that baby to have unfettered access to can be a lot. So how do you recommend doing some of that management? So that is like number one thing is keep their world small. So, so, so small because not only can we not expect them to make good choices, we can expect them to make bad choices. And that's going to be chewing, going to the bathroom, getting crazy because they just have too much space to explore and get excited about. So 
again, X pens are my first choice, but some people will do, you know, maybe gating in the kitchen or gating off a room, but even a full room, in my opinion, is way too much space, unless it's very structured amounts of time where people are able to have directly interact with and keep their eyes on the puppy. I love all of that. Are there any other suggestions you have about preparing and kind of managing those behaviors? Yeah. Just remember that your puppies cannot again, think and make good choices. They're not acting because they don't know any better. They're not acting a certain way because they're trying to be stubborn or be spiteful or, you know, there's, they are acting in the most basic natural way that they know how, and that they are genetically designed to act. And so expecting anything else from them, expecting any level of manners or good choices or good thinking, it's just going to drive you nuts. So create their environment so that they have no choice, but to be basically good and safe and do not expect anything above that. Yes. And training starting early is absolutely fantastic, but having huge expectations of your puppy isn't helpful either because they're still babies and they're still learning. So training and enrichment is going to help them start to make better choices, but you don't need to take your puppy on like a five mile hike, even if they do have a lot of energy that might not really help. Oh, definitely not. And I agree. Training is fantastic and they can learn anything an adult dog would. They just have a much shorter attention span, but you are more than welcome to hit the ground running with sit and down and all that fun stuff. But more so I would tell people go into your kind of training journey with just the mindset of reinforcing and rewarding good choices that your puppy makes. So maybe keep some pieces of kibble or some small treats in your pocket throughout the day and try to catch your puppy being good because you can't train for more than five minutes at a time with a young puppy anyway. So use the rest of the day as an opportunity to catch them being good and reinforce that behavior. So something that came up that one of your posts, I really love, you have a lot of great content on Instagram, but you talked about puppy socialization. And one of the things that I really loved coming out of um, the pandemic is people are like, we can't socialize our puppy. And one of the things you talked about was what socialization actually is. And I loved you saying like, there's a misconception that your puppy meeting and interacting with people and dogs is the only way to socialize them. And I, and I love that you mentioned that this can backfire and I've seen it in dogs, like, you know, forcing their dog to interact at like a dog bar or the dog park. And now this dog has trauma from doing those situations. So why could you explain what, what, how you see socialization and what you recommend for puppy owners in trying to get their dog socialized? Absolutely. And thank you so much for bringing that up because it's, I mean, from a behavior standpoint, you could consider socialization to be like the number one thing in your puppy's whole life, because we have to remember that that critical window between eight and 16 weeks can dictate how your dog, your adult dog feels about the world and therefore acts. So there is a lot riding on that socialization window and for my clients who are like, you know, they get all wide-eyed when I start talking like that, it's like, I'm sorry, but I actually am trying to scare you because this is really important. So you mentioned exactly kind of how I feel that meeting people, one, not only is it not necessarily necessary, but it can also be harmful in that it can be scary or it can create a, an adult dog down the road who becomes hyper obsessed with strangers and people. So what I recommend and what can be really, really effective for socialization is having your puppy observe other people, 
dogs, things, bikes, scooters, have them just watch those things while having a good experience of treats or maybe even some play with you or um, chewing on a bully stick, having something good happen while they simply observe the world around them. That's actually a super effective and possibly better way to socialize a puppy than to put the pressure on yourself and your dog to go out and physically meet people. Mm -hmm. 100%. And I think it is important to consider the pressures. Sometimes people get puppies after that critical period through no fault of their own. It's still not impossible. And I've even had people ask me about, well, puppies a blank slate. Is it, or do we just figure, do we just give our puppies issues? So you're never going to have like a perfect dog without any issues. You're going to have the perfect dog for you, but it's, there's never going to be completely no issues to avoid. And I also um, recommend to my clients to take it easy. Like think about what's coming up in the moment. And instead of trying to cram all these experiences into one day, maybe you don't go into the store, the pet store, maybe you just go to the parking lot and observe people and then you go home. So breaking it down too is also a great way to keep your dog safe and um, confident while gradually exposing them to new things in that crucial period as well. Absolutely. And, you know, puppyhood comes with a lot of work for the human. And so you're totally right. I'm, I'm, I love that you even acknowledge the human end that it might feel overwhelming at days and we don't want to pressure ourselves or our puppy. And another uh, point that you bring up is that, yeah, puppies are not blank slates at all. In fact, genetics play a huge role and we know that because there are dogs who have completely, we know for a fact have lived perhaps in isolation during their socialization window and they're still social confident dogs, which means that they had really strong genetics. And we also have, I'm sure you've seen this. We've got puppies that come home at eight weeks from a breeder who, so we know the history and we know their experiences during that socialization window, and they still grow up with fear and anxiety, unfortunately. So genetics play a huge role. And I think anecdotally, I don't think there's science behind this, but we think that there's about a 60, 40 split 60% is genetics. So you have a lot that you can do with socialization, but there's also a lot that you cannot impact no matter what or how much socialization you do. Mm -hmm. And it's really important. A mentor of mine wrote an article about train the dog in front of you or, you know, accept the dog in front of you. And I love that too, because I think we, we talked about in the other podcast about kind of the cult of dog training and the emotions of, of dogs. And sometimes it's hard to, for us to n- not look ahead at what we want and to ex- accept what's in, in front of us and to forget to look behind us and where we came from too. And those are so important, not only with your puppy who's still maybe biting you, but has come a long way from that little demon and also with your adult dog as well. Training the dog in front of you and accepting the dog in front of you can release a lot of the pressures of what we want them to be or what we hope they would be. And coming to terms too, kind of with, what they do end up being like if your four or five, six month old puppy ends up being a little bit more fearful or having maybe some separation anxiety or something like that, like that can feel really um, obviously hard, but also you might say, oh, did I cause this? Or was this something I did? And just kind of accepting that's where your dog is at that time. You can get some professional qualified help and kind of go from there. I also loved what you talked about the risks. Uh, so we, we touched on that briefly, the overwhelming, 
um, aspect of it. And also too, I, I love this idea of exploring that hypersocial a dog who's obsessed with other dogs and people um, with that crazed greetings. And, and I think that's actually where a lot of uh, barrier frustration or leash frustration could come from. They want to so much. So I'd love to hear more about how you've seen that and how we can avoid that with our puppies. Yeah, I'm really passionate about this one because I agree with you. I think it's a huge issue and we see it. So we usually see this at around the adolescent phase, which is going to be depending on the size of the dog start usually around six months. And for small dogs, they'll exit adolescence around a year and a half, but for big dogs, adolescence can last till two and three years, meaning labs, shepherds, those types of dogs. And so what happens is in the name of socialization, we are often letting our puppies just walk up to run up to and greet anyone who wants to say hi to them. So it's usually a lot of running up to dogs, running up to people and not having to definitely not worrying about the person on the other end of the leash. They're human and definitely not worrying about what happens between the moment when they see another dog or they see a person and that moment when they do get to greet, which as a young puppy, if they're friendly, the way we want them to be, they're going to be excited to see people a great quality. But what happens is then as they get older and they get bigger, we start to decide, okay, we don't need to socialize you anymore. And so we're not going to let you walk up to everybody and say hi. And what that can do is build frustration because your puppy has just spent many months getting to do that. And suddenly we just decide they don't get to do that anymore, which is a good thing. I mean, there's, we don't want leash greetings is not necessarily something we want to be the norm, but when it's been the norm for our puppies for so long, and suddenly we change that a lot of frustration can build and then mix that with just all the changes happening in adolescence. There's they're growing, their hormones are changing. They're going through a pretty challenging developmental phase. Then that can develop into what surprises, surprises a lot of people as leash reactivity. It's not necessarily the traditional fear-based reactivity that we're used to seeing a lot of the time, but there can be a lot of pulling at the end of the leash, jumping, barking, screaming, spinning around, and that can all be rooted in frustration. Oh, I want to go say hi to that dog. I've, I want to go say hi. And people are so surprised to realize that that likely has been starting to build and has been started from just a, you know, that eight week old puppy that you were letting approach other dogs. Absolutely. And there's some simple ways to deal with that too. One of my favorites is explain, you know, we're in training. Can you ask my dog to sit? I love that. Are there some tricks that you have to help people with that? So I really like to put the focus back on to you. So you as the dog owner, I really like to teach puppies and young dogs and adult, well, any age really. Oh, when you see that dog across the street, check in with me, I'll give you a treat and then I'll give you information about what's next. And if you start that at a young age and you really set the precedent that they, that your dog kind of has to turn to you, not has to, that your dog will learn to enjoy turning to you because it means good stuff. So tasty treats and information, and then maybe they get the, their release cue, go say hi, or maybe you keep walking and you go do something fun in the other direction. So setting that precedent at a really young age, that seeing another dog or a person does not automatically get being allowed to, uh, approach, then that can really, really help you. I love that because that's also 
pointing out a rewarding for doing nothing, which is something I love to talk about. We're so eager to look for behavior sometimes as dog owners that we forget we really want to reinforce the nothing or the good behavior. And I compare that often to like the kid in the classroom who's like quiet, wants attention, not getting any. So they start getting loud, you know, and our dogs do it too. And when we can reward them for doing nothing and doing the thing we'd like to see, they're going to do more of it because that's how learning works and reinforcement works. Absolutely. And it's important to remember too, that what looks like nothing is actually probably a lot of identifiable behavior. And so that's going to look like standing calmly. That's going to look like being quiet. That's going to look like, um, facing you and ignoring the other dog. And so where it looks like we might label it as nothing. If we also look at it through the lens of you're absolutely right. What is happening here that we like? What are the observable, identifiable behaviors here that we like? And we reinforce those, then you're going to start seeing more of it. Yes. And I love, I love the advice that you put in what to do instead. So having fun with your puppy, letting them watch from a distance, maybe do some training or engage in play and the treats and the positive experiences from a distance, sending that message, you know, strange people is good, not scary. And when you're advocating for your dog too, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this, when you show your dog, like, Hey, we're going to, I'm going to guide you through this process. They're going to interact with you more. And then they can trust you that strange people really does mean good, not scary, because there is a flow and a predictability to that encounter if there is one. You're absolutely right. And I think you touch on another important piece, which is relationship building. And that's what so much of puppyhood is about because we don't want them to, to look to us. And then we do break that trust by letting the strange person approach or forcing them to go interact with the strange person. We want to teach our puppies, Hey, we love you so much. You're safe with us. Good things happen when you're with us. Bad things, as much as we can control, do not happen when you're with us. That is so critical for young puppies, both with their development, but also with your relationship building. And so making sure that you really think from that perspective, what can I do to help my puppy feel safe and comfortable right now? That's just so important. With our puppies potty training and house training is one of the most important parts that people are concerned about. Do you have some general like top three tips for doing potty training? Mine tend to be, I love, um, Dr. Sophia Yin's process of eyes on the puppy, leash on a puppy, created or penned. If you can't do either of those things and having a structure and schedule for it, what are some of your top tips? Yep. I would say pretty much that. So keep their world super, super small and take them outside frequently, be ready to reinforce when they're, when they do go outside. And exactly what you said, if you can't have eyes or hands on them, then they're in a small confined space. And there are aspects that, so I do want to touch on that. All these puppy tips are very general. It does not speak to specific situations. And this is where you might need a dog trainer. So for example, when you're potty training, tells are super important and tells can vary from dogs. I, I got to see a couple of, uh, need to poop zoomies this week, but not every dog doesn't need to poop zoomie. So if you need help with tells, definitely reach out to a, a trainer who can help you um, identify those. Yeah. And I'm grateful that you even put that, that, you know, you reminded us of that disclaimer that everything we talk about today is general. And if you have questions about your own puppy, definitely, definitely should work with a qualified certified trainer. And I, you know, tells are a really important piece to training, uh, potty training as well. So like sniffing the ground, a big one that people 
pet parents I feel like have a hard time noticing is when your dog suddenly just stops engaging with you. So if they're playing with you and then they suddenly walk away, even if they don't go to the door, they don't immediately start sniffing. That's often an indicator. Definitely being by the door that they usually go out sniffing. And what people are also surprised to hear is that the change or excessive nipping can be an indicator of needing to go out. So if you're interacting with your puppy and they're being really nice and they're playing really nicely, and then suddenly they start biting way more than they did before, that could is often an indicator that they definitely need something. And knowing it's a baby, it's probably needs to go outside. That is awesome. And that's usually something I didn't know, but that I learned from your post because I had no idea that could be part of it. They're trying to communicate. And when we get stuck on this idea that my puppy's being mean or jerk or spiteful, we're losing out on that relationship building and all that valuable information that's teaching something uh, to us about our puppy and how to communicate with them. They're just babies doing their best. (laughs) That is such a good sentiment. They are just babies doing their best. Absolutely right. And you're also completely right that when we I agree. People with the nipping, we start to get so worried about communicating to our dogs that the nipping is bad and that they can't do it and they shouldn't do it. Remembering it is completely normal developmentally. And from my experience, what I've seen is that it is always, it is almost always, again, no, always or never in dog training. It is almost always linked to an unmet need. It could be, they need to go to the bathroom. I would say they need to go to the bathroom and they need to take a nap are the two number one big drivers of nipping. They could be thirsty. They could be hungry. If it's around dinner time, they could just be bored if they just woke up from a nap. So there's almost, if it's outside of kind of the normal, just like gnawing on you a little bit and your puppy's really getting crazy with nipping, there's almost always a need underneath that. Yes. And yeah, working with them is super helpful. So I love your tips for surviving. So toy close by, put that in the mouth instead, routine schedule. And I really wanted to touch on this because with that routine schedule, it talks about two to three, one to three hour naps per day. So the amount of sleep that puppies need is uh, ex- almost, I would call it excessive. It's a lot. They need to sleep a lot. And this is where we can run into some issues where something like a doggy daycare might not help your puppy, especially your kennel free doggy daycares, because that's just play. And then we see increase in often resource guarding behaviors, frustration and nipping and chewing behaviors and all that, because your pup an inability to regulate or have proper social interactions because your puppy's not getting their needs met. I could not agree more. The, a huge amount of behavior issues, which again, I'll say behavior issues almost in quotes because it's really just normal behavior given the circumstances. A huge amount of behavior issues I see definitely in young puppies and a lot of times in adolescents in those teenage dogs is actually a lack of sleep. So general rule of thumb, again, not totally scientific, but it's very helpful to keep this in mind is that for every hour that a puppy is awake, they should be sleeping for two hours. And that's usually like that really baby baby between eight weeks and probably I would say like, yeah, I mean, 12, 14, 16 weeks. So at least that first month or two, they need to be sleeping so much, so much more than you would think. And so really that's where uh, routine and consistency is also important because if you can start to build in those nap times, then you're not always playing catch up. It's not always like, oh, my puppy is turning into a terror. Let me make sure that let's try to get him down to nap, you know, and it's always like, oh, he's being so bad. Okay. Let's try to get him down for a nap. It's like, 
okay, you're starting to get a little mouthy. I realize this is your nap time. You're going to go down for a nap and it's not that bad getting really, really bad nipping cycle where you're always trying to play catch up with the sleep, be proactive about downtime and sleep. We think like, oh, he's hyperactive. We need to get rid of that energy instead of like, no, he's saying he needs no more. It is the biggest misconception. Oh, my puppies, especially in the evenings, that witching hour in the evenings, it's like, oh my gosh, if I could just tell one, I guess, well, this all goes back to like my puppy tips that I feel like I wish every owner knew is that your puppy is likely if they're acting crazy, unless they just woke up from a nap, if they're acting crazy, they probably need to go back down for another nap. And that totally, especially applies to that witching hour in the evening, like after dinner, but before bed, when your puppy is like the worst that they've been all day, it's because they are cooked from their day and you just need to give them chewing, licking, calming activities before they fall asleep, which they will because they're tired. Mm-hmm. 100%. And I love that you mentioned those enrichment, calming activities, you know, dealing with the natural functions of our, of our dog, sniffing, lick, licking, chewing, give them something to do. You don't have to stick them in their crate and, you know, they have to figure it out, but there's so many great ways to set the crate up or the pen up and give them something to do so that they can learn to relax themselves. And that is crucial. So what are your, some tips on helping the a puppy relax if they're, if they're wound up? That's, I keep saying this, that's such a good point you bring up because you're bringing up so many good points because what we don't want to do if our puppy is revved up is just throw them in the crate and walk away. The concept of crying it out can be really damaging, especially long-term because they can create more anxiety in their ex or crate and it can create learned helplessness. And there's just a lot of things that can come, a lot of fallout that can come from just leaving your puppy to quote unquote, deal with it. So we definitely recommend, especially if you're coming off of a big nipping episode or your dog is, your puppy is really revved up, make sure you've got something safe to put them in the crate or the pen with. So that can be like a frozen Kong. That can be really good, especially if they're teething that cold, you know, frozen, whether it's like a little bit of wet dog food or peanut butter or yogurt, whatever you choose to stuff your Kong with, that can be really helpful. Something puppy safe to chew on that your vet has approved for their little baby teeth. A licky mat, which is kind of newer, which I think is like the best invention because you can just smear a bunch of tasty something on it and put them in the crate with that. Because think of it kind of as like a pacifier where the, you need to transition the puppy from crazy tired to sleepy to like napping tired. And so if you can bridge that gap and help them calm down, they're going to fall asleep like they need to, but they definitely need that help calming down. What are some signs of abnormal behavior? So again, I want to point out, this would be generalized. This is not specific. If you are afraid that your puppy is showcasing some abnormal behaviors, please contact a trainer. But what are some of the things that you've noticed that people should watch out for? So definitely any type of resource guarding to people. So if your puppy, if you go to take a bone or a toy away from them and they stiffen, growl, snarl, and especially if they lunge away and try to bite you that at a young age around humans is definitely abnormal and something you want to get a handle on very quickly. Um, anytime we see a behavior issue at this young age, there's a genetic component. So again, it's not, it's really important to understand puppies do not grow out of things. They typically, when it comes to behavior issues, grow into them. Um, any type of severe fear, meaning your puppy is Anytime they meet someone new or go somewhere new or, or encountering encounter something novel, if their tail is tucked, if they're moving away, if they're frozen or they're trembling, they won't take food. Um, 
that that's definitely a big red flag. And again, puppies often they they can go, they can obviously be fearful at times, but we really want to see kind of loosey goosey, silly approaching, oh, Hey, new friend, you know, and then also any type of outward, I would say barking in a, in a fear-based way, which this is where body language is really important for you to educate yourself on pet parents because there's excitement barking, but there's also, whoa, you scare me and I want you to go away barking. And so those big barks where, where puppies are afraid of people and dogs, that would also be kind of a red flag to me that I would recommend intervention sooner rather than later. Well, I think that was all the questions that I had. Was there anything else you wanted to add? I think we covered so much great stuff. Thank you. Just, you know, expect, (laughs) what is it? Expect the worst hope for the best or whatever, like plan for sleepless nights, lots of biting, create a routine, reward good behavior. And just think about it as teaching your puppy that you are great and the world is great and they're safe with you and life with you is fun. Like, because life will be fun with them one day when they're four years old and all grown up, but no, just try to enjoy the ride too while it's, while you're on it. Okay. I'm going to do the sign off and stick around for after the music for some final advice from Juliana. This has been Telltale Dog, the podcast with your host, Elizabeth Silverstein and my guest today, Juliana DeWilliams. Music has been provided by Jim Chiago of Second Second Chance. Find more of his work on iTunes and Spotify. Juliana, when you're dealing with a dog owner, a puppy owner, who's being super, who's super frustrated and overwhelmed by how much puppies can take and, and need from us, what is some of your advice? How do you recommend that humans deal with that frustration? So remember that as much as the puppy needs time by themselves to nap and to sleep and to recharge, our humans need that too. So making sure that you're spending time for yourself when your puppy is sleeping and do your best consult with a trainer if you need to, but to practice a routine where your puppy is confined and away from a couple hours a day, and you can try to recharge yourself. And also I would say, uh, connect with other puppy parents because you can realize you're not alone. This is normal. It's really hard. There's some great resources on the internet because the puppy blues are a real thing, but do anything you can to fill your own cup. And just remember, they're not going to be this cute and crazy forever. They'll be cute and less crazy and older, but it is, it's a special and challenging time in their life. And uh, just remember the end is in sight one day.